How's everyone doing today? Has the Olympics been making anyone happy? It's been a lot of fun watching Olympics. I guess we couldn't watch it last night because it had the epic concert going on. What I love about the Olympics is it has everything. It has the drama, tragedy, heroic actions. It even has wonderful love stories. Do you, does anyone recognize this couple? This is Ashton Eaton and Brianne Thiessen Eaton. And they are awesome, not just because their names rhyme. They are a picture of Olympic love. She entered into the Olympics as the world's number one heptathlon athlete in the women. And he comes as the reigning Olympic champion. And so they came to the games cheering each other on. And she ends up winning a bronze for Canada, which is awesome. And he ends up winning the gold. But there's a little bit of controversy that unfolded. Because at one of the events where she was competing, her husband, the American athlete, showed up wearing this. Team Canada. Twitter blows up. Traitor! Literally, people were writing like, traitor. You could have wore like, I love my wife hat instead of that or something. Like, these are the, the, the type of things that people are tweeting. You don't have to wear, you're a traitor to our country. And it, you, cannot, you can imagine, cause, because he's representing America, this got a little bit heated. And he, he wrote, sat down on Twitter and he wrote his reply, which I thought was a very nice reply. He said, um, have I not represented USA well, yet you demand more? Your respect is hard-earned. I support the country that produced my wife. Who are you to shame me? It's a good answer, right? I think the replies were, USA, USA. <laughs> but what a love story, right? That this, this man would stand up for his wife and say, no, like I'm going to wear this cap representing and cheering her on and her country. And Team Canada, by the way, replied, we love this. By the way, we'll let her wear a USA hat at your event. So it was all, it's all even. <laughs> what I love about this story is just this, this, it, it captures what the, the love of a husband and a wife is. It overcomes these like national boundaries. And here at FV, we consider story to be one of our essential ingredients. And one of the most powerful stories you can have in life is a love story. A story of a man and a wife coming together and becoming one. And we see this all through Scripture. And we, we know that, you know, love stories aren't just bread and roses, right? There's famine and there's thorns. There's a lot of difficulties that come in love stories. And we see that God looks at his relationship with us as a love story. And so I want to turn and open up to the book of Hosea, where we hear about the love story of God for his people. And despite God's great glory, the story is a bit gory. It begins like this. And when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. And so he married Gomer, daughter of Diblam, and she conceived and bore him a son. The prophets don't pull punches, do they? 
Imagine God asking someone, hey, I want to give a good example, a good theater of what my relationship is to my people. So go marry a woman who will be unfaithful to you. Now, there's scholarly debate about whether she was already unfaithful or if she becomes unfaithful. We don't need to get into that. All we know is at some point in their marriage, Hosea's heart is broken. Can you imagine how he feels? The pain that's coming here? The hurt, the pain, the shame. But he marries her. And it kind of starts off with this, this high note. He, he has a son. And so he's excited. And, and then the Lord tells him, oh, by the way, I, I, I like naming children. So here, let me name your child for you. And the Lord said to Hosea, call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel. I'll put an end to the kingdom of Israel. And that day I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Now Jezreel is this interesting valley where Jehu had usurped and overthrown and cut down one of the, the sons of David and took over Israel's crown. And so what we're hearing here is God is saying to Israel, I am going to cut down Israel completely. So name your son Jezreel. There's a habit in the prophets of naming their children prophetically. It's kind of an awkward, I don't know if you guys want to name your kids something so doom. When I was uh, in Bible college and I started studying Hosea, I got really amped up by this whole prophetic naming thing. And so I was, you know, thinking about this, and, and I, came, I was thinking about our society, and what, what would be a prophetic name for a child? And so I came up with the name I was going to name my firstborn son, which was Machine Garrett. <laughs> it was a comment on how we've all been dehumanized. Technology has taken over our entire life. When I got married, my wife knocked some sense into me. She's like, I'm never naming my kid Machine. That is not happening. But I thought it was something pretty cool. I was, I was thinking this is an interesting way of, of speaking, right? So he, he names his son Jezreel to help prophetically speak to the doom that's coming to Israel. But it kind of gets a little harsher. Gomer conceives again and gives birth to a daughter. And the Lord said to Hosea, call her Lo-Ruhama, which means not loved. For I will no longer show love to Israel that I should forgive them at all. Not loved. I mean, this is really harsh stuff. I just read in uh, the news that there was a child who was so abused that she thought her name was Idiot. So when you read this, you start to think like, God, what are you, what? You're naming your kid not loved? Why, why are you doing this? Let's continue on. And then it says, And after she weaned Lo-Ruhamah, Gomer had another son, and the Lord said, Call him Lo-Ami, which means not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Literally, the name that was given to this child was actually not mine. You start to wonder, oh, wait a second. Some of the pain might be coming out here in Hosea. Not mine might have to do with the fact that he's not really sure if this is his child or not. In fact, he's probably pretty sure that it's not. 
He says that he is no longer their God. Actually, the, the phraseology there is, I am not your I am. And if you think about God's great name, Yahweh, it means I am. He's saying, I am not your I am. So God is speaking again to Israel and, and, and laying it down very difficultly that he's taking this seriously, that his heart is broken. Continues on in chapter 2. Rebuke your mother, rebuke her, for she's not my wife. I'm not her husband. Let her remove the adulterous look from her face and the unfaithfulness from between her breasts. This is the great divorce in this chapter. God says, I am not your husband. He's breaking. There is a divorce here. God is hurt. And so he says, I, I, I leave you. Now, this is the anger of God. This is a, the jealousy of God. And when we see jealousy in human beings, it's often quite, what do I say, just silly sometimes? Like, oh, someone talked to someone, oh, I'm a little jealous. This is like a righteous jealousy. This is the jealousy of my spouse, I saw kiss another person. Right? This, is, this is the kind of like, he is jealous for her. Righteously. If he wasn't jealous, he wouldn't even love her. And this is why he's using this graphic imagery. I know some of you would be like, oh, this is... By the way, I'm giving you more of a PG version. I'm not even hitting some of it. The thing about the prophets is that they are not genteel. They use language that is very real. Just go read Ezekiel 23 and you'll be like, don't ever preach a sermon on that passage. Seriously. So what's happening here is he, he's helping us understand the level of his pain. Because when you think about God, it becomes very abstract sometimes, doesn't it? You're thinking like, oh, we broke the covenant, God. We didn't quite live up to it. We didn't give you your sacrifices. It's like, no, you cheated on me. You broke my heart. I'm, I'm hurting like someone whose wife has been unfaithful. I'm hurting like someone whose husband has been unfaithful. I will not show my love to her children because they are the children of adultery. Their mother has been unfaithful and has conceived them in disgrace. Notice how this is playing out like a real life scenario. Like the divorce is hurting the children now, right? This anger is in him and, and he has a, a righteous reason for leaving. Notice he calls them her children. They're probably not even his. And this unfaithfulness it's not just affecting two people. This is, this is having a trickle effect. And that's what we have to realize with our, with our own unfaithfulness to God. Sometimes. This is just, just hurt us. And so God says, you know what? I got a plan. She's going to chase after her lovers, but not catch them. She's going to look for them, but not find them. And then she will say, I'll go back to my husband. As at first, for then I was better off than now. She has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her the grain, new wine, and oil. Who lavished on her silver and gold, which she used for bail. He starts 
reverse thing here and starts predicting the future. And he says, she's going to realize. She's going to realize that I am her God. And I love how the, the personal language is kind of going in between Hosea and God now. Like this grain new wine oil, this is God language for Israel, right? It's going back and forth. She didn't realize that this came from her loyal husband and she used it for her lewdness. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me husband. You will no longer call me my master. In these words, we hear in the Old Testament the gospel like we've probably never heard it before. Up to this time, all the prophets are talking about keeping this covenant, keeping the law. You must keep the law, and you must obey your master. You've made a, 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 a covenant with God, your sovereign Lord. You must obey him. And all of a sudden, Hosea is switching. He says, you're not going to call me your master. You're going to call me your husband. We're going to change this relationship around, and there's going to be an intimacy. It's not just a, a law. It's not just we signed a piece of paper, and now you're my property. There's going to be an intimacy. There's going to be a new covenant. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and in justice and in love and in compassion. I'll betroth you in faithfulness and you will know the Lord. This is the beautiful relationship of hesed. Hesed is this wonderful, one of the most powerful words in all of the Hebrew scriptures. It's this word that means uh, an unfailing love, a loving kindness, a loyal love, a steadfast love, a love that pushes through everything, even adultery. It's probably the most Jesus-y word you're going to hear in all of Hosea. You're going to have a relationship with me that is righteous and just and love and full of compassion and mercy. And you will acknowledge the Lord. You will know the Lord. But guess what? He doesn't just promise that he's going to have this restoration that's coming. He says, not only am I going to have this restoration with you, we're going to have a new relationship as husband and wife in, in a true sense. He says, I'm going to rename my children. And I'll plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one I called not my loved one. I will say to those who are not my people, you are my people. And you will say, you are my I am. This beautiful family reunion, this picture that God is going to reclaim and adopt and take these children. Not mine, you're mine. Not loved, you're loved. And so there's this promise that he's giving to Israel this prophetic word, that this divine love story that's playing out right in, in the life of Hosea himself is going to give a picture of what's going to happen with Israel. Because Assyria is going to come, and Assyria is going to smash Israel. But God will not forget them. God divorces his people Israel, and then he decides to remarry. And the Lord said to me, go, show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. 
though they turned to other gods, they loved the sacred raisin cakes. And so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethek of barley. He bought Gomer for a homer. And then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will behave the same way towards you. For the Israelites will live many days without a king or a prince, without sacrifice or sacred stones, without ephods or household gods. And afterwards, the Israelites will return and seek their Lord, their God, and David, their king. They will come trembling to the Lord and to his blessings in the last days. A promise of Jesus Christ. A promise that they will once again have their king. God asks Hosea to go back to his wife. That's a hard one, isn't it? If you, if you just think about things from Hosea's perspective, we know morally he didn't have to do this. In fact, Jesus is the one who brings in the more harsher restrictions on divorce. And in the Old Testament, it says just bring her a note. But what was happening was men were abusing this. They'd marry a young, beautiful woman, live with her a few years, give her a note, and move on to the next one. And so God says, no. Jesus is like, I, I hate divorce, and you're not going to do this. I abhor divorce, no more divorce. But he does say, except for in the case of marital unfaithfulness. And so he gives a little exception cause. And so we understand that Hosea is not forced to go back to Gomer for some moral reasons. What's happened is the Holy Spirit has spoken to his heart and told him, I want you to go back. So he goes back. Not only do I want you to go back, I want you to chase her down. If you get the picture here, what's happening, he has to go into the marketplace, try to find where she is. He's probably purposely trying to forget it. Track her down, and he finds her, and she is enslaved. Probably, she's being pimped out, actually. And he has to pay to have her released and take her home and says, I love you. I love you. I don't, I don't care. I want us to return to husband and wife again. I want to love you as my wife. I want you to love me as your husband. And this is what God says to us. I don't, I don't care you did. I'm going to let that be forgiven. He says to Hosea, despite your disputes, despite her ill repute, let your love be relentless, relentless in pursuit. Do not relent. Just keep going until you find her. It's not like she's coming back, begging. He, he has to go chase after her. And that's what God is doing for us. He redeems her from slavery. He purchases her out of slavery, and he redeems us. When you hear the story, you've got to think about what's going on with Hosea and, and what he has to do. He has to swallow his pride. He has to have a forgiveness that is as deep as it is wide. And I've seen this happen, by the way. I've seen marriages that are struck by adultery. And I've seen 
Sometimes when it wasn't reconciled or unable to be reconciled, but I've seen other times when it is. And when it is, it's kind of unfathomable. Like people are like, how dare you take him back? And yet there's something about this love that says, I love my husband. I love my wife. I'm going to stay. Again, not compelled by scripture to do so, but sometimes certain times the spirit speaks to your heart and, and puts that on your heart. And so we start to think about Hosea and his pain. I don't know about you. I'm, I'm constantly thinking about him. And I, and I think about how, how could he do this? How could God do this to him? Poor, poor Hosea. How could God do this? And I'm thinking about my own self and connecting to Hosea. And I got to realize, I'm not Hosea. I'm Gomer. God's Hosea. If I'm feeling bad for Hosea in this story, what, about, what, about, what have I done to God? What, what is he feeling as is he, is he weeps over me when I just forget him, when I just do whatever I, I want? We are the ones that are being forgiven. We are the ones he's saying, I want, I want to know you. As you think about this story and how do we apply it, Hosea gives some beautiful words in chapter 6 that helps us understand this is what we're supposed to do with this story. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, and now he will heal us. He has injured us, and now he will bandage our wounds. In just a short time, he will restore us so that we can live in his presence. Oh, that we might know the Lord let us press on to know him. He will respond to us as surely as the arrival of the dawn, of the coming rains in the early spring. What an apt picture when you want to think about the love of God. Like, this summer has been a hot summer, hasn't it? Y'all been looking at your lawns and hearing crunches when you step on it, right? <laughs> so brown. You're like, when will the rain come? Will it come? You know it's going to come, but is it going to come? This is what Hosea says, as surely as the rain just came this week, God's love will pick you up, restore you, and love you no matter how much you break his heart. And so what do we do? We, we press on to know him. Do our best to try to know him. And this knowing, by the way, this is like a marital knowing, right? This isn't just like a, oh, I better just get more facts about God. If all my wife knows about me is what she Googled, that'd be a problem in our marriage, wouldn't it? Like Megan knows me better than any other human, better than my mother. That's what the knowledge that God wants. This is not a, a knowledge of facts or like, I can quote this many scriptures. Like, do you have a relationship? Do you know me? Are we walking through our life together? Are you dropping to your knees when, when you're hurting? Are you coming to me jumping for joy when you got that promotion and, and thanking me and thinking about me? That's what God wants with us. That's what God is offering us and, and giving to us. So yeah, we gotta, we gotta ask ourselves, like, where am I being unfaithful? Where am I being ungrateful? Where am I being hateful? Where am I committing treachery and treason and cheating in, in my relationship with God? How have, I, how have I broken God's heart? 
Kind of look for those places in our lives where we're not being honest with God, places we're trying to hide and keep secrets from Him. But also, we just got to let Him in. Let Him get to know us. How many times have I seen relationships where people slowly just kind of part and they can't ever look at one moment? It's just because they never got to know each other or they let it go. They stopped. They kind of went, oh, we know each other really well. We're, you know, we got married. And then it just, knowing each other is the thing that continues. The reason is because we keep changing. We're all getting older and changing. And, and as we're getting older and changing, we better be doing that together, knowing the changes that our spouse is having, right? And that's what we need to know with God. Is God getting to know us as we're changing? Are we getting to know God as we're changing? Is he in there? Or are we just kind of relying on, like, I said this awesome prayer way back then. When I was in youth group, I got all fired up and... Right? I, when I turn to Christ, God is calling us to, to love this way too, which is this is the hard part, right? Now we have to turn and we have to love sacrificially. Those people who are our friends who betrayed us, maybe they whispered something behind our back and they, they stabbed us in the back and God's calling us to forgive. Once you start to realize the, the pain that you cause God, maybe we can start to forgive the pain that others have caused us. And I know that these topics like divorce and adultery, they're really sensitive. So if I've, you know, triggered anything in anyone, please, I ask for forgiveness. That I just wanted to open up the word here. And this is a, a story that God is using to help us understand his love for us. And the reason he does this is because God wants us to understand in the ugly messes of humanity how he relates to us. And if we didn't understand the story of Hosea and, and, and how this relates to how God loves us, we probably wouldn't understand the great immensity of God's love, would we? God is real. He deals with real pain. He uses the reality of our broken humanity to help us know him better. And so I just pray that we would all realize how fiercely God loves us. The fact that he chases us down wherever we're going to get away from him, he's going to relentlessly pursue you with his love. And so maybe you're in a place right now where you're kind of backing away and you're, and just, just realize he's knocking at the door right now. Just hear, hear his voice. Let him just say that word to you. You can't love me. I, I hate you. And I've said, I love you. I love you. He wants to love you more and more. He wants to get to know you more and more. So let us go more as gomers back to our genuine lover, back to our God. Let's accept his love. Let's get to know him. He wants to know you better. Let, let his passion take you to Olympic heights and let you recognize your own part in this epic love story. Of course, the ultimate fulfillment of Hosea's prophecy is Jesus Christ. That he loved us so much that he sacrificed his life 
for us. Despite our unfaithfulness, he was faithful to the point of death. When the enemy was taking aim at us, those he loved, when he, when he was going to take us down, he stepped in front and he took the bullet for us. He loved us that much despite the fact that we cheated on him. This is the, the beauty of the gospel. He loves with a love that is unfathomable. That he took the bread and, and he, he broke it. He said, this is my body sacrificed in love for you. And he took the cup and he said, this is my blood that is poured out for you. As often as you eat this bread and you drink from this cup, you proclaim that God's love for you is beyond your wildest imagination. So if you know Jesus Christ, we're going to ask you to join us in the Lord's Supper today. If you don't know the Lord, I just would like to invite you to take a moment of silence and, and just reach out to him and maybe just say, like, God, God do, do you love me? Does Jesus love me? Take a moment and, and sit there and, and listen to him. And maybe go home with this and, and recognize, and I hope you start to recognize that God loves you that much. That you are someone that he treasures and he wants to get to know. And all you have to do is say yes and take his hand. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the story of Hosea. Despite how hard it is to hear, it is so real. It helps us understand who you are, how much you love us. May we today, as we partake of the bread and the cup, not just know about communion, know about Jesus giving his life, let us know intimately at this moment your love in Jesus Christ. Let's experience through your Holy Spirit the reality of your love for us that overcomes all of our sin and washes us clean. Amen.